Morning, Senior Pastor. Good to be with you again. Morning, Pastor Hall. God bless you. All right, uh, so we're going to be looking at Jesus' ministry, um, how it began. Uh, from the perspective of Mark, we're going to be dividing it into three sections. Uh, John prepares the way, uh, ministry beginnings, and manifesting unequaled authority. Manifesting unequaled authority. Um, all this is going to be coming from Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 through 39. So uh, we can familiarize ourselves with that. Uh, so we're going to be studying the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, it's not going to be anything pertaining to his private life, whether, you know, basically the first 30 years or so of his life. This is actually when he began his public uh, ministry, and uh, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of Mark, John Mark. Uh, we know that the wilderness of Judea suddenly came to life. The solitary place became the rendezvous of a multitude, not only the ordinary rabble, but even the aristocrats, socialites, and representatives of the ecclesiastical hierarchy came out into the wilderness to see and hear an eccentric evangelist who was holding forth on the banks of the Jordan River. And who was this eccentric evangelist? Well, it was John the Baptist. Uh, John the, the Baptist was evidently not a product of the Hebrew seminary, he was kind of rough around the edges. He was rough, eccentric, uh, straightforward, hard-hitting, divinely taught enemy of, of sin and hypocrisy, the champion of ethical righteousness in personal life and in society. Was, well, what does all that mean? Uh, when, when we look at John the Baptist, there is a, well, me personally, there's a relatability that many pastor's kids have with John the Baptist. Um, we know that John the Baptist was the son of a priest, Zechariah. Things he must have been privy to during his father's ministry must have been extraordinary. Uh, but John still wasn't like other pastor's kids. His parents must have explained to him his miraculous birth and the time when both he and Jesus met for the first time while in the womb of their respective mothers. John the Baptist had a very unique perspective, but we must but he must have seen church hypocrisy firsthand. And you know, when I was looking at John the Baptist, if if you ever get an opportunity to kind of delve into his, you know, his, uh, his ministry, as effective as it was, uh, he was not considered a part of the elite or the priesthood. Um, you know, he was out there. He was uh, very strange, uh, very weird, uh, you know, down to his very diet and who he uh, surrounded himself with. Uh, was very strange, 
And it kind of speaks to us to let us know that God can use anyone for any reason. Um, why was he called John the Baptist? Well, that's what he was known for, going from place to place, baptizing people. He was an itinerant preacher, uh, and that basically means that he was going from place to place. Um, other titles for John include John the Forerunner in Eastern Christianity, John the Immerser in some Baptist traditions, and the prophet John in Islam. He is sometimes alternatively called John the Baptizer. Uh, he walked in the footsteps of men like Moses, Samuel, and Elijah. The society to which he addressed his message was honeycombed with deceit, hypocrisy, and corruption. Think about those three words, deceit, hypocrisy, and corruption. And we can actually translate it or move it forward to today, and we see that our world is filled with deceit, hypocrisy, and corruption, uh, not only in the world, but also in the church, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, the church is filled with deceit, hypocrisy, and corruption. Uh, Judaism was spiritually dead. Its leaders were spiritually blind. The times were ripe for a mighty revival, uh, as it is today. I, I believe within my heart that the time right now is ripe, ready for a mighty revival, a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. And if we are not seeing that, uh, we need to really look at ourselves um, because the... the, the <laughs> The world is looking, they're eager, uh, they're searching for something to fill that void, that emptiness that they're experiencing right now. And they're looking to other places, looking to other things to fill that void. And I believe in the time of John the Baptist, it was that time. There was a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament where they were not hearing anything from God, nothing, nothing from God. And so he started getting all these different types and kinds of interpretation and false uh, teachings and false prophecies, uh, just like how we're seeing it today. But that doesn't mean that the church is dying. It means that the church is being revived. And uh, there is a time now, I believe, for a mighty revival. Now, James Green Somerville, said John the Baptist was supposed to point the way to the, to the Christ. He was just the voice, not the Messiah. And listen to what he says here. So everybody's calling has dignity to it. And God seems to know better than we do what is in us that needs to be called Amen. forth. Amen. So God is calling each and every... There is dignity in everything that you do for God. And uh, you may not be the preacher. You may not be, hold a, a quote-unquote high position or a high office in the church. But God is calling everybody. And, you know, what he has called you to, there is dignity in serving God. Uh, basically, James Green Somerville is saying here that John the Baptist was not Christ, but his 
you know, his message, his platform was quite important because he paved the way for Jesus. He was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And so, as it is with John the Baptist, let it be with us today. Uh, no uh, job, um, no office, no position, no calling is greater or lesser in the kingdom of God. All right, we're going to turn it over to Senior Pastor, and he's going to further talk about how John prepared the way. What a beautiful lesson, and there's so much food for thought in this lesson. And I like what you said, Pastor O, and what the writer said, that Judaism was spiritually dead. They were doing great things, but spiritually they weren't doing anything to get anybody saved. They weren't appealing to anybody. They weren't doing the things of God. And why? Because the leaders were spiritually blind. They were blind to what the Spirit was saying. They were blind to the things of God. And it was just about them and not about God. And um, you also said that the times were ripe for a mighty revival. Aren't we living in that time now? With all the political unrest, with all that is going on and people don't know where to turn, I think that's what the Lord is saying, that the times are ripe for our mighty revival. Oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send the revival. Start the work in me. You mentioned the other day about the me revival that we did in Pahokee several years ago. Start the work in me. We are ripe for a mighty revival. And what is revival? Is when believers get right, when believers start to do the work, when they get active, when sinners turn over a new page, when they get saved, and they said, I'm leaving from sin to grace. That's a revival. And oh, how we need a revival. Our churches are empty. We need a revival today. And I hope that the message of John will spur us on to preach the gospel and to get people ready to meet the Lord. Let me repeat. I hope that the message of John will spur us on to preach the gospel and to get people ready to meet the Lord because that's what we're doing. We're preparing people to meet the Lord. If we're doing anything else, then we're wasting time we must preach the gospel. We must get people ready to meet the Lord. Mark 1, verse 1 to 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning. There had to be a beginning and there ought to be an end. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. As it is written in the prophets. Behold. And Isaiah said it. Malachi said it. Other Writers said it, other prophets say it, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which is John, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And this is what he said of John, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's the message. Prepare ye 
the way of the Lord make his paths straight. Um, now, we realize that um, Matthew begins with the ancestry and birth of the king. Luke starts with the birth of the forerunner of the king. John introduces us to the pre-incarnate Christ, the word of the eternal God. But Mark opened up his narrative with the ministry of John the Baptist. He has in view that he must prepare the way of our Lord for the Savior's coming. In verse 2, Mark makes one of the two important prophetic quotations from the Old Testament. The other is found in chapter 15, verse 28. He links the gospel to Isaiah 40, verse 3. You see the correlation? And Matthew 3, verse 1. They all talk about the coming of the Lord. He emphasizes the truth that he, he whose coming is announced by the messenger is indeed the very Son of God. In Mark 1, 3, John claims no other distinction than that of serving as a voice to proclaim the coming of Israel King. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Didn't point to himself. I'm just a voice, just a messenger, just a servant, getting ready for the master to come back. All right? I am not the Messiah, he says. I am only a voice in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. Now, John the Baptist, as Pastor O said, was unique. He wore odd clothes and had strange food and preached an unusual message to the Judeans who went out to the wasteland to see him. Now, two things from that. It was an unusual message, not like everybody else, not what the Jews were preaching, but his message was unusual, um, filled with fire, filled with power, filled with anointing. And note where they went. They went out to the wasteland. He was not in the temple. God, God does not dwell in temple made with hands. Now, the temple... It's just a, a place for us to meet. As I said to you um, last year sometime, that if the pandemic is going to cause you to lose your faith and lose salvation, then you didn't have him from the start because God does not dwell in the temple. It's in our hearts. So they went to the wasteland to see him, kind of like a street pre preacher, you know. John did not aim at uniqueness for his own sake. Instead, he aimed at obedience. He knew he had a specific role to play in the world. And that was announcing the coming of the Savior. And he put all his energies, and I love this, he put all his energies into this task. Was not found wanting at all. Um, morning, noon, and night, he was doing the same thing, preaching the gospel, directing them that the Savior is coming and they need to get ready to meet him. Amen. 
Luke tells us that John was in the wilderness when God's word of direction came to him. John was ready and waiting. Amen. The angel who had announced John's birth to Zechariah had made it clear that this child was to be a Nazarite, one set apart for God's service. John remained faithful to that calling. Can I talk to us this morning? John remained faithful to that calling. Never shirk his responsibility. This wide-looking man had no power or position in the Jewish political system, but he spoke with almost irresistible authority. People were moved by his words because he spoke the truth, challenging them to turn from their sins and baptizing them as a symbol of their repentance. Now, if you accept the Lord, if you claim to be saved, you must be baptized in water. The water will not wash away the sin, but it's symbolic that you have turned over a new page. They responded by the hundreds, but even as people crowded to him, he pointed beyond himself, never forgetting that his main role was to announce the coming of the Savior. And that's what we're called upon to do. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Here is a description of his work. John, verse 4 of Mark chapter 1. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sin. And when I went to Israel, when I went to visit, we had the distinct privilege of being rebaptized in the river of Jordan. Verse 6, And John was clothed with camels here and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latest of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John's ministry marked the beginning of a new time or a new period in Israel history. His ministry was twofold preaching, and baptizing. And so is our ministry. All those who are called ministers, your duty is to preach and baptize. The theme of his preaching was repentance for the remission of sin. He brought the public face to face with the unsolved problem of sin. He showed them that the mere ceremonialism was empty and futile. He laid the acts of truth at the very root of every false and hypocritical hope of salvation. He called on Israel to repent, which is what we're calling on the United States and the entire world to do. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sin. John the Baptist was a dynamic one. Peculiar personality, judged by society standards, 
is evident from the vast crowd that went out from Jerusalem and came from all Judea to hear him. If any were drawn by mere curiosity, they were, you know, because he wore a leathern girdle and his food was locust and wild honey, but they were startled and shaken by his arresting message. Perhaps they came to see him, how he was, you know, curiously dressed and what he had to eat. And in today's society, that would distract from the message. But oh, when they went to see him, just went out of curiosity to see him, his message arrested them. Some doubtlessly were angered and turned away in disgust as we have today. Many were convicted of their sin and sought forgiveness and sealed their repentance with the outward rite known as baptism. Oh, yes. What did the multitude in the wilderness hear as they listened to this rugged evangelist? They heard him humbly declare that one was coming who was infinitely greater than he. John baptized in water, but he said the Messiah would baptize people with the Holy Ghost. And I have a footnote here which says that Jesus never baptized anybody, but his disciples did. Never baptized with water baptism, but he will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I hope that you seek to be baptized, not only in water, but with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, Pastor Ho. Ministry beginnings, baptism. Can you take it away? Amen. And, and the, the, the ministry beginnings uh, started um, after the uh, ministry and personality of John the Baptist. Um, Amen. And let's look at uh, Jesus' baptism. It, it, it says in verse 9 through 11, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom... I am well pleased. Um, so the, the baptism of Jesus was quite important and quite critical to the beginning of his ministry. Um, and, and, and John was, was preparing the way, and it's almost as if Jesus was continuing what John started. Um, in those days, that is at the time when our Lord entered um, upon his public ministry, he appeared as one of many who came to be baptized by John the Baptist. Mark passes over in silence the Savior's first 30 years, as we talked about, and begins his account with reference to certain public and official acts rather than personal events. So basically what this is saying is that Mark was not basically sweating the small stuff. We didn't know what kind of diet Jesus had per se, or what kind of childhood, you know, if he was, a, I'm pretty sure he was a young lad running around playing and so forth. You know, many of the, the, the Gospels were not really concerned 
about his personal or private life. It was what is more concerning was his public life because it affected um, not only the way religion was being looked at, the way Judaism was looked at, but also it had a, a, a lifelong implication because now this is an individual coming on the scene that is now calling himself the son of God. So this was quite important um, for us to understand. And so Mark kind of glazed over. He was silent on the first 30 years of Jesus' ministry, um, and he moved towards looking at his public and official acts rather than his personal events. Jesus' baptism was significant as an example, but it also serves as a proof of his full identification with humankind. So he was there saying to those people that were being baptized by John, hey, I am one of you. I am going to become like you. Uh, Jesus heard a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, bearing witness to his sonship, certifying to his position as a son beloved and his mission of redemption. Now, attention is called to the revelation of the Trinity. The Father speaks, the Spirit descends, and the Son hears and sees, and is publicly certified as the Messiah. Now, this discounts any kind of doctrine that does not believe in the Trinity. Uh, and so we must understand that uh, the Trinitarian doctrine is alive and well in the Gospels. Um, and that's a bit deeper than what we want to get into right now. But we believe in God the Father, uh, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And those three being made one. One of the greatest and most profound mysteries of, of, uh, of the Godhead is how three distinct uh, beings uh, operate in different functions, yet are seamless uh, in their operation. Uh, one of the greatest uh, mysteries that we will ever or maybe never understand. Um, and so we move on to Mark 1, verses 12 through 13, when it talked about what happened after Jesus was baptized. Uh, and, and this is something, again, we must pay attention to. It says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. And we want to draw attention to the word immediately. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Immediately, right after uh, you know, he was confirmed by God as being his beloved son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. After his confirmation, then immediately after, here he is now being driven into the wilderness to be tempted. What does that say to us? It says that just because we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, it doesn't mean that it ends temptation. It just means that you will 
be tempted, even more so now. Um, because the, 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 the work of the enemy is to kill, steal, and destroy. And so when you're not a child of God or when you're an unbeliever, then there's no real reason for the enemy to trouble you uh, because he kind of says, well, I have you in my back pocket so I don't have to worry about you. He's more concerned with those who have professed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, who have given their lives unto God. Those are the individuals he's after. He's after us, the ones that have, you know, said, hey, I confess my sins before God and, and declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Those are the individuals that he's after. Uh, and as you can see here, if he has... If he has no remorse in tempting Jesus, then who are we? If he's not necessarily afraid of tempting Jesus, then who do you think we are to, to, to Satan, to the devil? Uh, Mark's account of the temptation of Jesus is exceptionally brief. Matthew and Luke declare that he was led by the Spirit into the place of temptation. Mark uses the stronger term, driveth him. The wilderness ordeal was a necessary stage in preparing Jesus to become a sympathetic high priest. And this also teaches us that the wilderness experience that we may go through in our lives is a necessary stage in order to prepare us for what God has called us to do. So when God calls us to do something, it's not divorce of trouble and, and, and temptation and even a wilderness experience, as we often label it. It is something that we must go through in order for God to prepare us for what he has us to do. Now, before he could qualify, before Jesus could qualify for this office, he had to challenge and break the power of Satan. The devil had to be defeated on his own battleground, on his own turf. That desolate wilderness, ground that bore every evidence of the curse, was a tangible proof of the reality of sin. With no mortal man near to encourage Jesus and the wild beasts lurking about, Jesus faced the full blast of satanic power during those 40 long and lonely days. More formidable by far than the threat of wild beasts were the furious assaults of that old serpent, the devil. But the father did not forget or abandon the son. And this is significant, right? Just just the same way as the father did not forget or abandon the son, it is the same way that when we are in our wilderness experience, God will not forget or abandon us. There are going to be times when the ordeal or the experience is going to be difficult. We don't know when or how long sometimes, but it can be very difficult, even life-changing. But we are here reminded 
that the Father did not forget or abandon the Son. So it is with us. He will not forget or abandon, or abandon us. The angels came and ministered to Jesus. This, this word ministered literally means deaconed or served him. Um, and so you're going to have times of desperation, times of desolation, times when you are hungry, times when you are thirsty, times when you are, you are dry, times when you are empty, and God is going to send his ministering angels to deacon you, to shepherd you, to serve you. So he will not forget you. He will not abandon you. And I know that there are times that we are going to go, or even now we are going through whatever we're going through. Just be encouraged that the Father will not forget or abandon you. Now, as we move further on in chapter 1, Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, I'm just going to read a few uh, scriptures, uh, two in particular, verse 14 and 15, um, where it talks about the kingdom of God. Now, after that, John was put in prison. After all this happened, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. This is, this is Mark's account. We're not quite sure if Jesus said anything else or anything more, but this was a very succinct message that is timely and is perfect uh, for today as well. It says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So for those people who uh, don't think that you can preach, there is your message. You can take Jesus' message that he preached to the Galileans, and you can make it your own. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. After Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover while he was there. He cleansed the temple, driving out the money changers. He also carried on a conversation with Nicodemus by night. You'll see that in Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. On the way, he stopped in Samaria to talk with a woman at the well. You'll see that in Mark chapter 4. In Galilee, he healed a nobleman's son. He also preached in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth where the people tried to kill him. Now, these are his own people trying to kill him. Uh, he proclaimed his purpose was to establish a spiritual kingdom. His followers never fully understood this during his earthly ministry. His message was the good news of the kingdom of God. In verses 16 through 20, uh, we see that, uh, well, chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, we see that Jesus would not engage in his mission without developing a team of helpers. This is very significant. I was speaking to my wife yesterday, and I said, I am, I am no longer, um, I no longer want to be around people who don't want to work for God. This is quite important. Uh, now, we must also understand that Jesus was very specific. He was very selective in whom he chose. And for those who 
are in leadership position, this is extremely um, uh, important to us that we must be very careful who our team of helpers are because those team of helpers can hinder the progress of the ministry or those team of helpers can help to progress, right, the ministry. Uh, Jesus walks along the shore of the Sea of Galilee until he finds two brothers. Not quite sure if he had a specific criteria in mind, but it says that he walked along the, the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee until he finds two brothers, Andrew and Simon. Now, was the shore empty? And then all of a sudden he came upon these two individuals? We're not sure. Um, but he came up to these two brothers named Andrew and Simon, who would be named Peter, uh, and they were fishing. Jesus beckons them to a higher calling, catching people for his kingdom. I will make you fishers of men, and they leave their nets behind to follow him. The pattern is repeated with two other brothers, James and John, who leave their father and their fishing boat to follow the Messiah. Now look at this, right? Whether or not Christ beckons us to leave our vocation behind to follow him in full-time ministry, all of us as Christians are called to do kingdom service. All are called to do kingdom service. He empowers us for service by baptizing us in the Spirit, as John the Baptist declared he would do. And this is something that I would like to say to all of us, right? God has called all of us to do kingdom service. Now, we may not have the ability to leave our vocation, to leave our jobs, but that doesn't mean that we are excluded from service or for, from serving in our own capacity. We have the ability to serve. And whatever God has called you to do, make sure that you do that first because that will create opportunities for God to bless you uh, in your own personal life and in your own vocation. So just like, you know, reading the Bible is, is good and studying the Word of God is great, um, but that's, that's not necessarily serving. That's not necessarily service. That is more study, personal study for service, right? So we must recognize the vocation, the spiritual vocation, the, the kingdom vocation that we're called to so that we can serve God well. And I hope that when we get out of this, you know, this slump of the virus and the, the corona and all this stuff, that we'll be able to reconvene and we are able as a church to empower each and every one for their kingdom vocation. Many of us go to school, we get our degrees and so forth, so on, and you know, in our secular vocation, we do well. But when it comes to our kingdom vocation, many of us are lacking in that regard. And we really need to pay attention to that. And, and we're, we're, we're calling it out because we need some really serious uh, people that are ready to work for 
the Lord. Enough of the playing around, enough of the this, enough of the that, enough of the isms and the schisms. It's time for the people of God to rise up in this season so that a, a revival can break out in our communities and many can come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So there, there is a lot here to really consider in Mark chapter 1, and we need to be ready and receptive to hear what God is saying to us. Now, uh, French L. Arrington, before we turn it over to our senior pastor, says, to the extent that the power of Satan was driven back by Jesus, God's kingdom was established and gained ground. Satan continued to rule the sinful world, but wherever Jesus walked on the earth, there was the kingdom of God. He was the Messiah, the spirit-anointed king. And I like that part. It says, wherever Jesus walked on the earth, there was the kingdom of God. We too, wherever we walk, we are, we are representing the kingdom of God. Of God, we are kingdom agents, kingdom representatives, and so we must walk on the earth um, as Jesus walked and be kingdom agents, so that people can see the God in us and come to glorify Him as well. All right, Senior Pastor, manifesting unequaled authority. Uh, yes, Pastor, and I, I there's so much in this lesson. I hope that people are making notes. Because it's going to come back to them that it was preached and it was taught to them. And we are not just having these sessions because we want to have a session. We're having this session because we want people to know. We want them to come to the realization that this is required of them. And this is what Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There were fishers of fishes, but now he says, I will make you fishers of men. You will know how to talk to people. You'll know how to communicate the message. People say, oh, I can't preach. I can't preach. And um, one of my teachers told me, he says, um, what is the message? Some people, you know, we have, we have major prophets and minor prophets. They are not different from each other. It's just the writing. Some write longer versions some have shorter like malachi only have one chapter you know but it's still relevant and i will make you fishers of men we are we are called upon that the the message is an astonishing doctrine we wonder about the doctrine we preach manifesting an equal authority the message that you have is with authority. Whatever is in the Bible is already inspired. Now we need the inspiration to preach and to communicate what is in the Bible. Mark 1, 21 to 22. And they went into Capernaum. And when I said, and they, Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day. Now, um, from their calendar, the Sabbath day was a Saturday, but we could use it for our day of worship on a Sunday. doesn't matter. God is not about the day. God is about how we worship Him. He's a spirit, and they that worship God 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. But on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished, astonishing doctrine. They were astonished at his doctrine. Now, they were high priests and other people there preaching. But when he entered the synagogue and he taught them, they were astonished at his doctrine. Why? Because he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribe. He taught them as one that had authority. Now, I told you before that the gospel message comes in two forms. It's not defensive, but offensive. Now, why do we say that? We don't need to defend the Bible. You know, the Bible can defend itself. Line upon line, precept upon, upon precepts. And what you don't understand in the Old Testament, you can go over into the New Testament because it's carried over. We don't have to defend God. God can defend himself. And when we preach the message, it's not a defensive message. It's an offensive message. Why is it offensive? Because when you get home, after the message is finished and you get home, you must not feel comfortable if you are in your sin or if in, you're in your wrong. You must feel that something is tugging at your heart door until you make it right. The gospel will offend you. Don't you preach sometimes and people say, oh, you preach on me today? The gospel is not defensive. It is offensive. You must feel uncomfortable until you make it right. And that's what's happening in Jesus' time here. They used to hear the, the scribe and the Pharisees and so, but when Jesus came, he taught them as one that had authority. Now, um, the synagogue was, was, of course, a Jewish place of assembly and worship. That's where they gather, like we, where we are, is our place of assembly and worship. It was a lifetime Lifelong custom of Jesus to be present each Sabbath day in the synagogue. And I want us to make note of that. It was a lifelong custom of Jesus every Saturday to be in church, to be in synagogue. People find all this kind of excuse now for not being in church. They were tired. They worked last night. All right. They never feel good. Jesus had it as a custom to be there every Sabbath day in the synagogue. And we have that responsibility, Paul says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We must go to church. We must love church and go to be the church, whether you like the pastor or you don't like the pastor, whether you like where the church is or not. You must go to church. Get up in the morning and Take yourself and wash your face and get your shower, have something to eat and run to church. No, there are always other times when he was in the synagogue. And I can um, count about two or three times here, although he was always there. But these stand out. When they went to pay taxes after he was born and he was missing. They journeyed for three days, but couldn't find him. 
and they returned to find him. And where did they find him? At age 12, they found him in the temple talking to the lawyers and doctors. And his mother said, why did you do that? He said, Mama, what are you worried about? I must be about my father's business in the temple. He was. At the start of his ministry, that pastor who just, just read and just thought on, after he was tempted in the wilderness, where did he go after that? He went into the temple and they stood up for to read and they found the book, found the place and they handed him a Bible. And he read, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. There are good things that happen in the temple. There are good things that happen when we meet together. Mark says, Jesus not only attended the synagogue on the Sabbath, but he taught the lesson. He didn't just go there to sit down and listen to them. He had work to do. Come on, sunshine. When you come to church, find something to do. Be involved in the singing. Oh, I can't sing faster. Be involved in the singing. Open up your mouth and sing. Even if you're singing to yourself, even if you're croaking, sing. All right? And we have some teachers who need to teach the lesson. You might not be able to preach, but teach the lesson. We need some teachers who will teach our young people, who will teach those who don't know. The listeners contrasted the manner of presentation which Jesus used with the approach the scribe made. They were amazed. The message of the scribe centered on additions that had been made to the commandment. They left their ears with a feeling of guilt. Also, they never spoke their own conviction. Instead, they quoted their um, scribes on the subject. In contrast to this, Jesus made no reference to any authority other than himself. A familiar expression of his words, you have heard that it was said, but listen to what he said, but I say unto you, the people were not accustomed to that kind of authoritative teaching. His words were so insightful, so true to the experience and inner conviction of the men and women they that of the men and women there that they nodded their heads in agreement of course and knew that what he said was true when we go to church and the message is preached oh yes lift your hallelujahs crown the pastor or the preacher's message amen i'm not saying you must say to something that is wrong but when the message is being preached there needs to be that they nodded their heads in agreement because they knew that what he said was true. This is important because it means we ought to measure every teaching by what Jesus has said about the subject. Not only was there astonishing doctrine, but there were incomparable power. You couldn't compare the power of the Lord. And Mark took this up in Mark 1, 23 to 28. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, 
thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the only one of God. Verse 23, uh, 25, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, talking to the demon, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. Oh, yes, and he gave us the same power. They were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he, he, even the unclean spirit, and they do obey him. God is powerful. He's not a psyche. He's not an obi man. He's not a black magic man. But he has dynamo power. And he has given that power to us through the power of the Holy Ghost. He cannot be overthrown. He has incomparable power. When they went to get him, you know, he was the one who said to them, I am he. He could have called 10,000 angels. And he told, he told Pilate, you have no power over me unless it's given by, by God. Demons, as well as people, took note of the message and mission of Jesus. As soon as he had finished speaking, a man possessed by an unclean spirit, provoked by what he had heard, responded with a strong, strong outburst. The man was so dominated by demonic power that his personality was lost to that of the evil spirit. The demon spoke through the man and said, What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You see, even the demons knew him. By this he meant they had nothing in common. And can I tell us that as a church and as saved individuals, we have nothing to do with demon power. Demon power cannot overcome you. You have the power of God. You is what you have. He told Moses, what is that you have in your hand? Use it to part the Red Sea. Use that power. Some people can't sleep because of demons. Some people can't work because of demons. No, no, no. You have that power. You have nothing in common with power. Light and darkness does not agree. The demon identified Jesus. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Amen. Drawing an expression from Psalm 16, verse 10, a messianic psalm. The demon realized that he had an explanation for Jesus' authority. He acknowledged Christ's true character and identity as the one empowered by the Holy Spirit. How strange that the demon oh, knew Christ was God's son, but the religious leaders of the day could not recognize him. Jesus sharply rebuked the demon and ordered him to be silent and to come out. And that's what we have the power to do. You can't sleep in a house because a demon Order him to be silent and to leave. Give him his marching orders. Oh, yes, you can't you can work because demon in the place in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we take authority. No demon could, could stop you. No demon can stop you. No demon have authority over you. 
Command in the name of Jesus. Use the tool you have. Use the power you have. The people already astonished. Amen. At the teaching of Jesus were amazed by the expulsion of a demon with only a word of command. When this demon was confronted by Jesus, he was forced to leave the person he was inhabiting. The demon was reluctant to go, but he had to leave. He was overwhelmed by superior power. The people had not seen or heard anything like this before. This miracle illustrated the teaching and displayed the character and glory of the teacher. I remember Jesus was one in a house one time, and they had a dead man in the coffin, and they didn't know how to get to Jesus. But they uncovered the roof and let it down. And when the burial went down and Jesus was there, oh, the body got up in the name of Jesus. Yes, sunshine, we have power. Yes, Christian, we have power. Oh, yes, within a few hours, the word of what had happened in the same God spread throughout the world, whole region of Galilee. It was Brother Davidson, I think, who said, he said, all we need is to have one miracle. And one miracle draw people. Remember when they got the Holy Ghost, what happened? That everybody come to see what was happening. We need just one miracle. Oh, yes, my friend. We need a miracle of the power of Jesus. By the evening, the people were bringing the sick and the demon possessed into the city to be healed by Jesus. The church has the power. You as his servant has the power. Oh, A.W. Tozer said, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle, can handle me. He got judo. I never heard of that. But he can't handle the one of whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. And that is Jesus. God has power. Oh, yes, he has given us power over everything, given us power. We must walk in that power. We must talk in that power of the Holy Ghost. Be not afraid. Use the tool. Use the power of God. His power is upon you. He said, you shall take up serpent, and it shall not harm you. Amen. The devil can't have authority over you because greater is he. That is in you than he that is in the world. Don't you think it's time that we use that power? Don't you think it's time we walk in that power? Take it away, Pastor O. Quiet healing and crowds and solitude. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I'm, I'm glad you said that, Senior Pastor, because there are so many of us that are walking around and we're giving more uh, more credence to the enemy and his ta- and his tactics. You know, we are we are we are constantly um, giving the enemy credit, giving the devil credit instead of walking in the victory and using the power of God um, to deliver ourselves from the pangs of the enemy. And I think it's time for us to really walk in that victory. Uh, really walk in that victory. And like what A.W. Tozer said, I am not afraid of the devil. 
uh, that was a, a, a statement that he was making. I'm Amen. not afraid of not the a... devil. Yes, I, I know that I can't handle the devil by myself, right? But I'm connected. I'm joined to um, the one that Amen. can. And I think yes, we need sir. to make that declaration this morning. I am Amen. not afraid of not the afraid. devil. Whatever is going on, I am not afraid. And I think many of us are walking around like uh, like scared cats. Um, and we need to recognize that we have all power uh, that yes, has sir. been given unto us uh, by heaven. And, and so we must utilize that power that we have in the name of Jesus. Um, we're going to look at uh, Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, this is just a continuation of of looking at Mark chapter 1, and we're almost done. And it says um, that uh, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, which our senior pastor was just talking about, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew, they were brothers, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, Simon's mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once, immediately. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. What a miracle. What a miracle Jesus had just performed. Right? Immediately the fever left her. But look at what she did. That one little statement right there in Mark chapter 1, verse 31. It says, and she served them. Amen. She served them. Wow. After a synagogue service mm-hmm. where everybody went home talking about the miraculous deliverance of a demon-possessed man. I mean, we, when I was growing up, you would see that all the time. It, it, was, it was familiar to see uh, demons being cast out. Um, not so much now, but when I was growing up, you, that, was, that was a normal service. We didn't even need a revival. That was a normal service, especially on Sunday nights. You would see the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people. Um, Jesus walked down the street to Peter's house where Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed and running a high fever. Remembering what had happened in the synagogue service, they immediately told Jesus about her condition. Now, this is just kind of rehearsing what what we were just talked about. But what was significant to me in reading this is that the revival spilled over into the house. Amen. The revival spilled over into the house. So they didn't have to wait for another Sunday, or they didn't have to wait for another synagogue service. The revival spilled over to the house because they remembered what happened in the synagogue service. They immediately told Jesus about her condition. Jesus walked into the room where she was, stood over her, rebuked the fever. Then he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law was perfect, immediate, and complete. As evidence of this, she began to prepare a meal for them. Her service to them was also an expression of gratitude to the lovely Lord for his healing touch. And I made a note here 
Notice the re reaction of Peter's mother-in-law after she was healed. And she yes. served them. Our service to God is an expression of gratitude for what he has done for us. Let me say that again. Our service to God is an expression of gratitude for what he has done for us. Now, in Mark 1, verse 32 through 39, we're going to read verses 32 and 35 just to get a little gist of what's going on here. Uh, it, 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 it's labeled crowds and solitude, crowds and solitude. And it says, and at even, or in the evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were deceased and them that were possessed with devils. And in the morning, rising up, a great while before day, he, meaning Jesus, went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. To bring the sick to Jesus, let's understand this, to bring the sick to Jesus for a cure on the Sabbath day would have been regarded as unlawful. But as soon as the Sabbath was over, it ended at sundown. People began to bring their sick and demon-possessed to him. These sick ones were afflicted with various types of disease. This did not matter to the compassionate Christ. He healed many of them, many Amen. meaning all who were brought to him. Jesus also drove out many demons. Now, can you imagine how physically exhausted Jesus must have been after this Sabbath day? And I... You know, I, I, I think about that because we too as pastors, we understand sometimes how physically exhausting it is to minister to God's people. Not only preaching and teaching, but in all the other aspects of pastoral care, right? Uh, it, it, is, it can be very, very exhausting. Uh, Jesus preached the sermon in the synagogue, delivered the demon-possessed man, healed Peter's mother-in-law, healed and delivered the sick and demon-possessed that were brought to him in the evening. Yet, Mark says, Jesus got up very early, in, early the next morning while it was dark and went out to be to an uninhabited place where he spent time praying. And for those that are in leadership position, we understand this is the best time either late yes. at night or early in the morning when you go to God in prayer, uh, uninhabited, uninterrupted, and you have time to seek God, to, to pray, to seek his face on behalf of uh, God's people or even on behalf of your own situation. Uh, we, we know particularly why Jesus did this because he went into obscurity. Nobody saw him. Nobody troubled him. He was just there. The popularity Jesus gained in the synagogue service, which resulted in virtually the whole community coming to Peter's house in the evening, continued the next morning. When Peter awoke, he discovered Jesus was gone and that the multitudes were back expecting to find Jesus. Why? Because of the miraculous manifestations that they saw the day before. Peter and his companions formed a search party to track Jesus down. When they found Jesus, they told him that everyone was looking for him. Jesus did not respond as Peter and his companions had expected, although all of Capernaum was clamoring for more. Jesus said he must go into the nearby towns and preach 
the gospel there. Verse 38, but he said, Jesus said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. Uh, Jesus recognized his calling. He knew what his calling was all about. And so he went about doing what God has called, what God called him to do. The mighty works he did serve, uh, he did serve to heighten his fame, but he never performed these miracles to impress his audience. They served to confirm and authenticate his message. And this was his message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent he and believe the gospel. So Mark here was making a case. He was laying out everything that Jesus was doing and how Jesus was, uh, was walking the walk and talking the talk. I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. I must do what God has called me to do. So the call from Jesus to you and me is to come. To come requires mm-hmm. no special ability, only a willingness and the putting forth of an effort to move toward him. Look at John the Baptist. No special ability. Yes, his father was a priest. That's pretty much the, the, the most that he could say. He wasn't growing up with, uh, he didn't go to any Hebrew seminary. He didn't go to a seminary class. He didn't go and, and, and study, you know, the, the historical um, um, places in the Bible. Uh, he was not necessarily an authoritarian of Scripture. But Jesus, God used him in such a special way. Um, so you don't have to have special ability. Only a willingness and the putting forth of an effort. So willingness and effort to move toward Jesus. He does not make us to be a vessel beautiful to behold, but one to be useful to him. Amen. And we must always recognize that every ability that we have, you know, we talk about the God-given ability. Every ability, every ability that we have, is for God to use, not necessarily for us to show off. Say, hey, look what I can do. It's for God to use and for us to be useful to God. Our business is to fish for souls and to win them to Christ. All people have sinned and have come short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3, verse 23. They are lost in the sea of life. So we must launch out into the deep, follow Jesus' instructions, and thereby help to continue his mission. Uh, That's a heavy calling. And I know some people don't like that calling. It's difficult. It's hard. But nevertheless, we must launch out into the deep, deep. follow Jesus' instructions, and help to continue his mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. See the pastor. Oh, praise the Lord. What a beautiful lesson we have. And I hope that we have been stirred as I am, as we have been. I hope that 
something has touched your psyche that you will realize that we have work to do. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. They are dying, my friend. Can't you hear their calls? Can't you hear the groaning? Can't you see them? Oh, yes, in their sin. And we need to rescue them. He has no other hands but ours. He has no other feet but ours. He has no other mouth but ours. And we have to do it. And I hope that you will hear the call right where you are. I hope that you will hear the call of Jesus. That he is saying, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Those who are not saved. I hope that you hear his call. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Don't you think it's time we stop this rubbish and work for him? Put in all we can. Because he's coming back to reward us and all. And if you don't do any work, what kind of pay are you going to get? Work. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. He's not going to pay you for your secular job. He's going to pay you for the spiritual work that you have done. I hope that we have been stopped this morning. Let's all bow our heads. Close our eyes and look to Jesus. From whence come it, our help. Father, we have proclaimed your word this morning. We have given to your people what you have laid on our hearts and through the writer here. And Lord, we have done it with conviction, anointing, and inspiration. But we pray today, there are two sets of people in the congregation today, in the audience today, listening audience today, those who are saved, who need a revival to work for you, who need a revival to go tell, who need a revival to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We pray that we will not take this lightly, but, oh God, we will realize that we will have to give account for that which has not been done. But wake us up this morning. Stir us up this morning. That, oh, we will go to the byways and to the hedges and bid the wonders to come. Lord, we pray for those who are listening today who are not saved. Those who have listened to your words, what John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare the way of the Lord and make it pass straight. And Jesus continued the same method. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. May we carry that same message. We have made it so high flown now. But help us to remember that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in you should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for life. Stir us today. Save us today. Rescue us today, Lord. We pray in the power of the Holy Ghost that your spirit will direct us. Remember your church. We have work to do, Lord. And some are so lazy, but oh God, some can't find anything to do. Some are busybody. Oh God.
but we pray in the name of Jesus that we will drop everything that is not to your glory and work for you. Work while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. Hear us today, and through these words I pray that somebody will cry out, I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender all. Hear us today, Lord, and bless these words, and we pray that help us to be ready because you're coming back soon to receive your bride. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us today. Thank you for blessing us today. And we cry, Jesus, 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 there's something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there is something about that name. Thank you for that name today. We have healing. We have deliverance in that name. We pray and we pray for your blessings. And until we meet again, may we find comfort and solace in your words. In the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen.